0: Hi, I'm Peter Haddock and welcome to another edition of my podcast. This edition is sponsored by my friends at Ritchie Brothers, the used equipment specialist. And you can find out how to buy and sell with Ritchie Brothers at rbauction.com. And don't forget, Richie Brothers can actually buy your equipment off you as well. So without further ado, let's go on to today's edition. Now, for some time, I have been thinking about how on earth do we get a grip of what's going on out there in the industry? How do we understand what trends are happening? How do we actually say, hey, Peter... Instead of talking about data on a connected site all the time, why can't you find us some real data that really works about what's going on in the industry? So I have listened, folks. I've listened very carefully, but it has taken me a little bit of time to get round to it, be able to find somebody. But fortunately, today, I have Alistair on the phone. I'm going to let him introduce himself because it's interactanalysis.com, which sounds really, really technical and incredibly deep and meaningful analysis that they're going to do and that's the point of today's podcast folks we want to know what's happening out there we have a big announcement recently from a very big player in the market JCB they've got a hydrogen excavator massive prototype ready to happen but how is this all going to work I don't know how is the fuel economy going to work in the industry I don't know but I know who does so Alistair introduce yourself and tell me what all of this interact analysis stuff is all about, please.
1: Thank you very much, Peter. That was a great intro. So as you said, my name is Alistair Hayfield. I work for a company called Interact Analysis. We're a market intelligence company Uh, focusing on manufacturing and supply chain. And within that, we have a real focus on things like automation and electrification. So things like manufacturing equipment, construction equipment, trucks, buses, robotics, and warehouse automation. And typically our sort of information is used by manufacturers and suppliers to help with their product planning and to help them understand the way the market is heading for for particular trends, particular technologies. My background, I've been in it for market intelligence industry for about 15 years working in automotive working in construction and primarily focused on sort of new technology so i am really really excited about the direction that the construction industry is taking at the moment with sort of looking at alternative fuels and pushing towards electric solutions
0: yeah and i think we've met through the whole hydrogen debate and we'll come on to that because that's really important as a fuel source but quite rightly You said electric is here, and it's here right now. But quite honestly, I don't understand what is going on at the moment. I know some people are buying excavators. Again, JCB's electric excavator. But where are we seeing the curve going? Where are we seeing the adoption going? Where is the industry and the behaviours changing? And where, with all of your background from an industry that's way ahead of the automotive industry, where can you see it going? So tell me a little bit about what you know now, what things are changing and how you think that's going to be ramped up and why.
1: Yeah, so if we roll back three years when we we first sort of started looking at this market, really there was very little noise, very little product on the market in terms of electrified construction machinery. And what we've really seen over the last three years is quite transformational. Almost every major manufacturer now is offering some sort of electrified machinery. Now, in reality, adoption of these types of machine is still very, very small. You know, it's, it's less than 1% of all machinery sold is electric. But we're expecting to see a significant ramp over the next ten to fifteen years. And I guess there are some good reasons for that. One of those is, is a sort of strategic push from major manufacturers. Those manufacturers they're not just exposed to the construction equipment market, they are exposed to passenger cars, they're exposed to commercial vehicles, and those markets are already moving towards electric solutions and they are deprioritizing internal combustion engines. So those manufacturers have good reason to try and develop and sort of push electric solutions for construction equipment because that's what's happening elsewhere in their own businesses. Second, we're seeing outside of the kind of standard regional emission norms, we're seeing a lot of cities and urban areas really pushing for clean air. And a lot of cities actually kind of pushing for basically banning internal combustion engine vehicles by 2035 or, or 2040. So we're seeing a lot of kind of cities actually driving this demand for low and zero emission equipment. And then there are certain applications where from a cost perspective, it might make sense to move electric. And that certainly is one factor. And then finally, there's thinking about the people. There's a good argument for kind of operator safety and improved comfort for operators. you know electric machines are typically they're not as noisy, there's not as much vibration. It's a nicer working environment for people. So those are some of the factors that are pushing and we would expect to see by, by sort of the mid 2020s going on towards 2030 in certain segments. to of vehicles being sold being electric by that point.
0: So what we're talking about there is quite a dramatic change when you look at the volumes of equipment, particularly the smaller equipment that you're talking about working in inner-city environments. What I'm struggling to understand, though, is some of the areas in which you think the behaviours are going to change, but also in the infrastructure that actually these excavators help to dig and make. And how is that going to work? Because that, for me, is a critical point if you're going to go into our cities develop big brownfield projects you're not just going to have small excavators you're going to have larger pieces of equipment what are the infrastructure capabilities and what are you seeing that again is happening sort of probably in more an automotive and how that could translate to having an electric fleet available
1: so you're absolutely right. That is a really big challenge. How do you, for want of a better word, fuel these machines, right? How do you get power into a construction site to be recharging electric machinery? And then for the very largest machines, there's an engineering problem right it's very very difficult to electrify those largest machine types you've got very very intensive duty cycles and your ability to operate one of those from a battery is, is going to be severely reducing in terms of what you can do so a couple of different approaches for the very largest machines the industry is looking at hydrogen as a viable option it gives you the ability to use those very very large machines and to use them with a large amount of independence so you know you don't necessarily have to charge them every day there's no major change to your operational processes, you can use the machine as it is for perhaps slightly smaller machines there might be battery swapping so this is not something that's really seen in the passenger car market but we see this in certain applications like underground load haul. they have one battery on the machine they take it out and put another one on and they're able to kind of continue using the machine so there are technical solutions to the challenges but that is going to be one of the major stumbling blocks over the next kind of five to ten years as they want to start using this type of machinery is how are they actually going to bring these machines into their existing operational processes? and still at the end of the day be able to do the work that they need to do.
0: That's correct and I think one of the things that I've always seen is like how do we get, say in a city, literally do we plug into a great big mains cable for some major projects that actually feed that battery bank? You know, do we have to have transformers on site to get the right levels for a whole host of these things and obviously the biggest problem that we have on any site in an inner city is space and the lack thereof from a construction. Construction site layout. So where we've seen some of the things that have come out for the industry in the automotive sector, where we're we're seeing people saying, look, lampposts are going to be charging points. We've seen that you literally pull up to the side of the road and the curbstone is actually going to help charge. Are we going to see that kind of thing coming in? Or Or how do you think that's going to be possible to manage on a construction site in the future?
1: Yeah, I think this is actually one of the challenges that the industry needs to get to grips with almost immediately. immediately is some kind of data-driven trial around how to bring these types of machines into the operational workflow of a site. So really understanding, as you said, how can we get power on the site? You know, does it need to be there from day one or are we going to be in a situation where we have to charge these machines off-site and then bring them to the site? And that seems less than optimal. Do they need to kind of develop some sort of kind of mobile high-power charging system that can be taken to a site for two years, three years, then taken away and used somewhere else? And we've seen some discussions about that being a solution. Or is there a product opportunity here for a manufacturer to basically develop a charging solution that is suitable for a construction site? And I would really look to the industry to start running maybe some trial sites where they can actually learn about some of these challenges and then share that back as, as kind of best practices and basically inform the industry that if you're going to go electric, is something you've been required to do. This is the best way to do it.
0: I think you're right there. And I think one of those key projects, and it's my favorite project, is HS2, because that's one of the key projects that's probably big enough to do these kind of data-driven analysis projects. And I know they are working data driven as a connected site project with their own holistic project management. But I think, you know, it's people like that that actually have the scope to do this over a larger period of time and I think that's one of the things that I'm hoping will come out of the works that are starting to go back on site because I know they're bringing in other equipment and things as well but when we talk about the build back better argument as to the industry and where it's going to go what do you think we saw from your analytics perspective we saw before this lockdown and what do you think we're going to be seeing after it? Because obviously people have had time to really think about this subject matter and digest materials and data that you've actually got and shared with them. What's the mood
1: music, for want of a better word? It's really... Good question it's a complicated question because if you look at for example a macro level we're both sat working at home at the moment and you know there's a lot of people in central London for example who have spent the last three or four months working at home and probably will never return to the workplace in a way that they did before and so from a construction perspective are we actually going to need as many commercial offices or workspace? And so is it in general, is there going to be a pressure on the construction industry in the long term? Because there isn't this need for developing brownfield sites and creating new buildings. So there's that kind of macro trend, which I think probably nobody is really certain quite, quite what that will look like, but it seems that there will be some level of impact. And then what we're seeing from a sort of societal perspective is that lots of people have seen what the environment is like without the cars and buses and trucks moving around. They're really happy that air pollution levels have come down and we're seeing cities like London and Paris, for example, saying, well, we're, we're going to have bike lanes permanently. We're going to reduce traffic permanently because it's been what we've seen during the, in the lockdown has been really positive. And so I think there is increasingly the public demand and public appetite for cleaner air and for cleaner construction projects. You know, nobody really wants to have you know, the block of flats that's been built next to them with lots of heavy construction equipment when, you know, they're riding their bike to work and they're on electric buses and, you know, the rest of the kind of transportation system has been key. Carbonized. So if anything, I I could see an acceleration in the next few years towards lower carbon construction equipment and, and more of a focus on sustainable construction.
0: Yeah, I think you're right there. And I think one of the things that brings us into that is a previous podcast I did from the Sustainability Supply Chain School, which actually has got a plant charter that they've created that actually focuses on reducing carbon across the board. And I think, you know, when we've got machines and technology, Technologies like electric machines, actually, the electric drive that they're using is a literal a switch on and a switch off. It's not an idling asset there which needs to have a diesel particulate filter and all the rest of their warm-up things that to have to turn on and off, and thus why idles. And I think that will ultimately deliver a better, more efficient use of energy as well. So the other thing, though, which I'm really excited about is hydrogen. And I think, you know, when we first talked and met over the wonders of LinkedIn, Remember, LinkedIn folks, great way for you to actually interact with people and find people like Alistair, although you have now know he's here, so that's fine because you're listening to this podcast. But fundamentally, hydrogen is going to be the fuel of the future. We have huge infrastructure issues with that because we've got to create hydrogen. It's quite energy-hungry when we're doing that. But we can see that fundamentally, the industries that come together and the assets that we have in wind and renewable energy can create a great big hydrogen economy using energy which would have to be stored in the future anyway. So what do we see in the crystal ball, I guess you're going to have to bring out now, Alistair, when it comes to hydrogen, and how do you think that can be delivered to the industry?
1: There's always a saying that the the hydrogen economy is 10 years away. But I think, joking aside, I think the next 10 years is kind of where it basically becomes the real deal basically and i say that for a number of reasons one you have a significant number of manufacturers suppliers looking at hydrogen as a fuel source and, and developing vehicles in a number of different application areas so it's not just construction equipment it's passenger car vehicles it's on highway commercial vehicles it's Buses, it's marine, it's drones, it's, it's even light like aircraft which can use hydrogen. So you have technological scale. You basically you have enough people doing enough things on hydrogen to kind of get kind of critical mass behind it. As you said, you have development of renewable power, and with that comes the need to store somehow that energy when solar or, or wind is not generating. So hydrogen could be a choice for that. And then you do have different types of hydrogen, right? You know, brown hydrogen that basically comes from industry. Blue hydrogen, where it's it generated from natural gas, but you're able to capture the kind of the sort of emissions, the bad part of it, and then green hydrogen is, is from electrolysis. So you also have different routes to getting this, getting hydrogen, and that's... I think is in the long term is going to help to bring the price down but I think the thing that I'm most positive about is the fact you now see governments not just the UK government but governments worldwide investing in it and looking to set up projects which are going to bring scale one of the real like critical things that you need to to kind of bring about the hydrogen economy is you need scale of production and scale of vehicles using it right it's not it's not sufficient to have 10 buses in a town somewhere doing it that's not going to give you the data or the cost scales right you need hundreds of vehicles. You need, you know, big fleets of city buses. You need passenger cars. You need construction equipment. And, you know, we're starting to see that in the UK with the funding of kind of the, you know, the hydrogen bus project. And so that's why I kind of see real strong demands for it as a kind of low zero emission fuel over the next 10 years. And I think as
0: we see that developing, there's going to be some big players coming into the market. I think there's going to be some disruptors coming into our marketplace as well, which is going to be good to see because when a disruptor for example Tesla which has now become the biggest car manufacturer by asset value as it were they've really changed the way in which we're thinking about things and I think what I see is the ability for people to grasp that and to ask the questions and I think it's going to be up to both government and developers and tier one contractors as well to really focus on the impact the carbon impact of their projects because I know talking to you that really we all know that most of carbon is used in the actual creation of the site by the earthworks industry and so if we can reduce it dramatically that makes a big impact obviously there's carbon used in products as well but fundamentally they're factory made so you can make a difference there so really for me it's really interesting to hear all of that element from you what are you doing right now though to help the industry and what can people benefit by getting in touch with you Alistair from their business perspective because obviously there's going to be some winners in this that really understand how to adopt it and there's going to be some losers that lag behind aren't there but you've got to know when's the right time to jump do you see what I mean (laughs) yeah so I think the
1: good news is that a number of manufacturers are very proactive or a number of suppliers are very proactive about addressing this market. They've developed solutions. They are thinking about the problems that you're just addressing how are we going to refuel these machines? How are we going to train operators to use them? How are we going to support our aftermarkets and parts business? Because we have worldwide 10,000 engineers who are amazing at fixing diesel engines, and we're suddenly going to have to to retrain them to focus on high-voltage electronics. And the good news is a lot of manufacturers are kind of looking at that, and they come to us to understand where the market is. Is it starting to to tick upwards? Is it starting to accelerate? Are there certain applications which are are slightly further behind the curve. The other way we can help people is specific questions about business model challenges that they have. So we have worked with component suppliers. Entire business model is going to be disrupted by electrification. They make filters, they make oil. That product basically goes away if you move to electric machinery. And then there are other companies who are trying to figure out how can they address the challenge we talked before about fight charging. Do they need to work with architects, for example, to get electric machinery specced in the project from day one so that when the contractors turn up, the charging stations are there, the equipment is ready to use. Do they need to offer a different sort of business model? You know, do they need to offer some kind of leasing model around that technology? Or if you look at JCB, for example, they've developed those power banks as a way of kind of charging their electric excavators on the fly. So do they need to develop some kind of new solution to to help introduce these machines? So those are some of the ways that we're, we're kind of helping the industry. Our approach is to be friendly and approachable. People can get in touch and ask these questions. We don't kind of sit behind a paywall or anything like that. So I would, I would encourage your listeners, if they want to learn more about what we're doing or some of our insights on this market, then do do please just get in touch. And um, we, we love to kind of talk about these things.
0: And so do I. So that's why we've got on today. And uh, look, Alistair, I think it's been a great uh, opportunity to talk about these sort of things. You know, we're going to keep in touch so that we know when things are changing and when that sort of trending peak goes. Goes on to the next phase next level and thanks very much indeed for getting in touch with me and uh, thanks for listening folks been a pleasure
1: thanks very much Peter
0: so it's a big thank you to Alistair for spending so much time with me talking about what is a really important subject and that's the subject of the future folks and how we are going to be far more carbon efficient and using technologies and different fuel types to do that. And of course, Alistair and his team are going to actually be monitoring how we're getting on with that. And I also want to take this opportunity to thank my friends at Ritchie Brothers. They're the used equipment specialists and auctioneers. And you can buy and sell with Ritchie Brothers with full details of how to do that at rbauction.com. And don't forget, Ritchie Brothers can also buy your equipment directly from you, which is a fantastic service. So thanks again for listening folks. Stay safe out there and if you've enjoyed this podcast please share it with your friends and colleagues and until the next time, goodbye.